Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Betsy Guerra, Executive Director of COST, the Connecticut Council of Small Towns. Good morning to you. Good morning, Aaron. Thanks for having me on your show. Betsy, as we work our way through the COVID-19 pandemic, what is the biggest issue right now facing small towns in Connecticut? At this point in the process, the biggest issue is really the budget and what's going to happen with the local budget. Governor Lamont's, one of the Governor Lamont's executive orders required towns to either adopt a tax deferral program or provide that taxpayers that were delinquent in payments only had to pay a 3% interest rate rather than the typical 18%. And so we're going to see fairly soon how that's going to impact local property tax revenues. And as you know, towns are very dependent on property tax revenues to fund critical services, including education, public safety, public health, and so forth. So I think there's a lot of uh, concern and questions as to what the property tax revenues are going to look like and also what cost towns are facing. Towns are spending a lot of money in terms of personal protective equipment, disinfection, cleaning, extra employees, consultants, legal costs, et cetera, to try to work through this COVID-19 pandemic and we're not sure how those costs are going to impact local budgets. You raise a good point about property tax revenue. The summertime is typically when cities and towns see a big infusion of cash as people pay their property taxes. Is that revenue going to be delayed somewhat this year? It may be delayed because of at this point, we're not sure how many people will end up selecting the tax deferral. Many towns did opt to adopt the tax deferral program, allowing property taxpayers, residents, and businesses to delay the payment of their property taxes by 90 days. We're not sure at this point how many have indicated that they will do so. Some towns limited limited the program to those that would be eligible if they had a reduction in their income of about 20%. Others decided that it was just easier to extend it to all taxpayers. And so most of those towns have required people to opt into the program by July 1st. Many towns require their first installment of their property taxes to be paid 
July 1st, and it's considered delinquent after August 1st. So we're beginning to see how many towns are going to be impacted by that process. This comes on the heels of a budget process that was very out of the ordinary as well. Cities and towns were given more leeway in approving their budgets this year, but some communities have gotten creative to still involve residents in that process. That's true. Unfortunately, COVID-19 hit right in the middle of the budget process, the local budget process. And that created a lot of concerns with towns. Many, many towns, almost more than 100 towns, are actually town meeting form of governments. And that means that their local budgets are adopted at town meeting. And because of the risk of transmission of COVID, towns were very concerned about holding those town meetings and exposing municipal officials and residents to potential public health harm as, as a result of their attendance. One of the earlier executive orders allowed towns to delay that budget process because much, much of the timeframes are either set by local ordinance, by charter, by, or by statute. And there were some concerns that they really weren't sure how they were gonna move ahead with the budget process. So the first executive order dealing with uh, municipal budgets gave them a little breathing room and said, you know what, take 30 days, extend the process timeline out, and let's see where we are. Unfortunately, things just got worse at that point in terms of the pandemic, and towns were very nervous that they would not be able to move forward with adopting a budget. And so a follow-up executive order allowed towns to direct their board of selectmen and board of finance to develop a budget and approve the budget. And that is certainly something that has never happened in our lifetime in the, in previously. A town meeting is a very res, revered institution and the hallmark of democracy in many of our small towns. And I, I think there was a lot of concern about that, that we were stepping uh, by stepping that process and unfortunately not able to hold those town meetings. Some towns did get creative. Uh, I know that Vernon, for example, held a drive-by town meeting where the public hearing on the budget was held virtually and people could submit their comments via email. Um, however, the actual vote was conducted by people in their cars driving by and giving either a thumbs up or thumbs down on the budget. And that worked well for them. Um, other towns have opted to direct their board of finance to move ahead with adopting the budget. And they did take great pains in most cases to make sure that the people had the opportunity to weigh in on the budget. And that was absolutely critical. And many towns have said, you know what, we ended up having more people participate in our virtual town meetings on the budget than we've had in the past. And so I think that's a good thing. There was a lot of focus on transparency, making sure that those budget documents were made available to the public, that they had the opportunity to comment, and that they had the opportunity to discuss the budget in detail. And that's a good thing. And I think going forward, when we return to the town meetings, I think people are going to be able to expect that they can also listen in and not necessarily have to attend the town meeting in person. So I think coming out of this I, with greater transparency and a greater reliance on technology to reach the public will be a positive outcome of all of this. 
Do you see a lot of communities trying to keep property taxes down and approving essentially a, a maintenance budget because of the difference in the process this year? Absolutely. In most cases, the towns budgeted with an abundance of caution. They recognized that this was not the time to fund big new projects, but that they needed to recognize that there were the taxpayers were going to be in a difficult position in their communities. The businesses were in a difficult position. And so they came, move forward with budgets that were either no increase or decreased budgets. And we saw sometimes with very modest increases. So I think that that's going to be very helpful going forward. I think it would have been very disruptive if towns didn't have a mechanism for adopting their budget because now they can begin to reopen their business community and their main streets and make sure that we can pave the way for economic recovery in our communities. The state this past week revealed some more details about how it plans to divvy up federal relief money from Washington to cities and towns. What have you learned? The governor's office has been very good about reaching out to both COST and CCM to discuss the federal funding issues. The Office of Policy and Management held a conference call with COST and CCM yesterday and apprised us as to the process going forward. There should be uh, more information on that coming out. But it looks like there will be uh, $75 million made available to towns and cities in Connecticut. In the past uh, couple weeks, OPM had requested that towns identify COVID-19 related expenses and to provide a list of those expenses to OPM. At this point, those total approximately $40 million. What we're not sure at this point is how many of those costs are eligible for reimbursement either under FEMA or other federal funding programs. So at this point, we're waiting to see how that um, shakes out. The towns will be given guidance as to what costs are considered COVID-related, and hopefully there'll be an opportunity for costs for towns that haven't perhaps reflected all of the costs that they've incurred appropriately. They'll be able to provide additional information to OPM and to receive that funding. Now, the reimbursement rate is 75% from FEMA under the disaster declaration, correct? That is correct, 75%. And it is a cumbersome process from what I understand. You really need to make sure that you have all the invoices, the payment records, um, everything, uh, very detailed reporting mechanisms. So we'll be trying to assist towns in that process and making sure that they understand all the hoops that they have to jump through to get that money. But clearly that money is going to be critical at this point. And we're hopeful that it will help towns as they move forward with economic recovery and also the opening of schools in September, that this will be a, a big relief to have this funding in place. Give us an idea of some of the pandemic-related costs that cities and towns have had to bear. A lot of the costs include the personal protective equipment, the masks, the hand sanitizers, the uh, erecting barriers between uh, in offices to separate the public from the municipal officials, 
and to protect the health of the both the residents and the municipal officials. There's also a lot of costs associated with hiring staff that to supplement local processes. Uh, for example, if you ended up having workers that were either at high risk or had contracted COVID, you needed to find some replacement workers during that time. There are also costs associated with cleaning and disinfection. And that is something that, for example, schools are going to incur significant costs with cleaning and disinfection because you have to do that very often throughout the process. Um, in addition, there may be additional costs relative to reconfiguring the outdoor dining and making sure that you had the planning and zoning staff and the local health staff available to approve those very quickly. So you see a lot, you, there'll probably be a lot of overtime costs associated with that. We are waiting for guidance from the governor's office and OPM to provide us with more details as to what is considered reimbursable under this. And hopefully that will be shared with us very soon so that towns can go back and figure out whether or not there are other costs that they may have incurred that they just weren't um, weren't ready to submit at this point. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Betsy Guerra, Executive Director of COST, the Connecticut Council of Small Towns. Betsy, give us an idea of some of the considerations that towns and cities have been making in terms of whether or not to reopen their town halls. I know some town halls have remained open to staff, are just closed to the public, and others have shut down completely. That's correct. There was nothing that actually required towns to shut down. However, in order to prevent the transmission of COVID-19 to the public and to municipal officials, certainly towns limited public access. Many towns are now thinking about reopening and allowing greater public access in the building. Um, however, it's a, a big challenge. And so towns are looking at how can they re reconfigure town halls? How can they separate desks? Um, making sure that they're a proper distance apart. How do they comply with the CDC requirements regarding the availability of hand sanitizers? One of the biggest obstacles is restrooms and how do you ensure that the restrooms are disinfected very often um, to ensure that the there's no risk of transmission to the employees or others that may be using those facilities. So there's a lot of work that's going into it and towns are working very hard to make those changes and to reopen to the public. We hear frequently from cities and towns that local education, pre-K through 12, is the biggest cost in local budgets. That's even more of a concern this year with the pandemic. At this point, what do we know and not know about what summer school and next school year are going to look like? Under the governor's executive order, summer schools are available to be opened on July 6th. However, it is up to the superintendent and the boards of education as to whether they do this. I know there are a lot of towns that are hoping that their summer schools do open because these summer schools provide daycare for people that have to return to work. And if they are not open, unfortunately, 
this is going to create a, a hardship for these individuals. In addition, there's a lot of special needs students that rely on summer school programs to meet their requirements. And so we are hoping that they do reopen. However, we understand that under the draft rules, the reopening is going to be very difficult for these communities. Um, there are a lot of requirements as to spacing desks apart. Um, in the past, I know in order to promote teamwork, a lot of desks are configured in a way that are grouped together and and people are facing each other, but we're going to have to go back to that uh, kind of theater style of classroom uh, desks and chairs. And they also have to be put in a diagonal to make sure that if you're trying to leave your desk, you're not coming too close to other students. So clearly the spacing is going to be very difficult. Uh, typically you have 20 or so students in a classroom. Depending on the size of the classroom, are you going to be able to have your desk spaced far apart enough and still accommodate that many students? So there are limitations to the number of students that can be in each classroom. Um, there are certainly going to be requirements that the desks, that the materials be disinfected. Uh, they expect that most, that students will not be able to bring things, books from home into the classroom, but they're gonna to have to rely on paper that they can then just throw out at the end of the day and things like that. So there's gonna be a lot of costs associated with this. And I think towns and school districts are trying to figure out how to do this in an appropriate manner to keep kids safe, to keep the teachers and other, and other school employees safe. So it's gonna be a big challenge. And I think you know everybody has to have a, a lot of patience right now and understand that people are trying to do their very best, but it is difficult and it is challenging. And we're gonna see, get a sense from the summer school reopening, what costs that schools may end up incurring when come fall. Uh, one of the other costs that, that is certainly COVID related is the focus on distance learning technology. Our schools and our town halls have had to rely on greater technology and distance learning programs in order to communicate with the public and with their employees and with their students. And it'll be interesting to see what costs have been incurred relative to those issues. Given where the COVID-19 numbers in Connecticut in terms of hospitalizations and infections stand right now, it's reasonable to assume there will be some sort of in-person instruction in the fall, but I suspect it's not going to be business as usual by a long shot. It definitely won't be business as usual. And I think that because towns, schools have incorporated distance learning into their curriculum, I think that they're going to continue to rely on that. And I think in a way that may provide some greater possibilities for learning. So for example, in the past, when we had snow events, snowstorms, schools would be closed and People were wondering the other day, well, do we need to close schools? Can we rely on distance learning rather than closing schools for a snow event? Um, in addition, a lot of the smaller school districts struggle to provide a number of AP classes or foreign language classes or various kinds of math classes because they don't have enough students in each class. But distance learning may provide an opportunity for towns to share those resources among school districts so that 
more students can take advantage of that those kinds of programs. Before we started the recording, we were talking about all the different ways that local government makes a difference. Talk about some of those COVID-related that people may not think about. I'm thinking about things like trash collection. Well, trash collection, certainly not all towns provide trash collection, but those that do have had to address certain issues um, relative to those individuals and the handling of those materials and making sure that they were actually safe um, and uh, those employees were safe and that the materials that they were handling were safe. Um, there was some concern early on that the redemption centers, the bottle redemption centers had been closed because the redemption centers didn't feel that they could open safely and they felt that there weren't going to be a significant number of people returning bottles. Fortunately, the State Department of Energy and Environmental Protection and uh, other advocates worked with those redemption centers so that they are reopened and people can continue to recycle those issues. You know, we have a huge issue with regard to recycling, which has just become kind of worse during this pandemic, unfortunately. Um, we had been hopeful that we would be able to address some of these issues during the legislative session, uh, but unfortunately the session was halted. So now we have the um, MIRA, the Materials Innovation and Recycling Authority, uh, had been working very hard to reinvigorate its uh, recycling capabilities and Unfortunately, now it looks like they're going to end up having to ship these, this trash to out-of-state landfills. And that's a big issue. It's a big issue for towns because they're going to end up paying more. It's also a big issue for in the environment because whenever you landfill these types, this type of material, it's not a good thing. Um, and so we were hopeful during the session that there would be some way to resolve this issue. But unfortunately, at this point, it sounds like those efforts have fallen apart. And we're hopeful that we're going to be able to revisit the issue. But at this point, um, again, those materials will have to be shipped out of state. Another issue that I should mention is the impact on our local and regional health districts. The health directors have been working around the clock to try to address all of the issues relative to the pandemic and funding for local and regional health districts has really fallen short in the last few years and it has become a real problem now. So for example, when the executive order allowed restaurants and other businesses to do outdoor dining and sidewalk sales and things of that nature, when barbershops and hair salons are reopening, it all requires a local health director to come out and inspect those premises to make sure that they're adhering to the safe distancing and safe workplace protocols in place. That's a lot of work and it's mm. overwhelming our local and regional health districts. And I think that that is something we're going to need to look at going forward is how can we adequately fund these given the need to protect the public health 
now during the pandemic and in the future. There's also been a lot of talk about voting in the shadow of COVID-19. What sort of guidance are towns getting from the state? Certainly the primaries from the get-go were delayed significantly. And so now we're coming up on that August 11th deadline. Uh, Towns are going to be required to have a ballot box, a secure ballot box available so that people can drop off their ballot into the ballot box and that it will be counted. Um, but there are a lot of questions as to how you do it. it. It does have to ensure that you're compliant with the Americans with Disabilities Act so that it's accessible to everyone. And it also has to be in a secure location and it has to be on a concrete pad. And there's all the kinds of configurations that people are asking about just to make sure that nobody can tamper with the ballot box. And so it will be another challenge that we struggle with as we try to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. But it does look like these the guidance will be available shortly to towns and will be able to make sure that the primary occurs on August 11 without any hitches and also that the November elections will be able to take place. She is Betsy Guerra, Executive Director of the Connecticut Council of Small Towns. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Aaron. Happy to be here. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.